0: bum bum ba bum bum ba bum bam ba bam bum ba bum bam ba bam bum ba bum bam ba bam bum bam bum bum ba bum 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 ba bum 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 ba bum 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 ba You are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson. And each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four color realm. In this episode, we're tenuously orbiting the supermassive black hole called the Ma. In our creator corner, with writers Ryan Silbert. Luke Lieberman, and artist Bill kevitch discussing Alliance's Orphans, a narrative from the mind of Stan Lee, published by Dynamite Entertainment.
1: This is an absolutely stacked episode. Three creators plus Brad and Lisa in one Loveness Zoom room. That's a lot of talent. That's a lot of voices to manage, but I think we did it.
0: A lot of talent? I feel like it's like three talents and two silly gooses who have this gift yeah. for getting getting people to do stuff yeah, with them. I mean, that's why I
1: went from talent to like uh, a lot of voices because it seems weird to like refer to us as talented. But I mean, I guess, yeah, you're right. We do have a talent for tricking people to come onto our show, chat up their comics, reveal their process. And, you know, recently- we even found a way to ensnare the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia to do our bidding. Ha 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 ha.
0: That was my evil laugh. It's a good one. Thanks.
1: We are super excited to announce on this episode that we have partnered with the Alamo Draft House as well as the Winchester Eisner nominated comic book store Four Color Fantasies to bring you a new screening series of comic book movies. And we are launching our comic book movie series with the greatest comic book movie of all (laughs) time. There is no better comic book movie than this one. Let's all say it together. Howard Howard the the duck.
0: Duck. I wonder if anybody listening said it along with us.
1: They all did because it is universally known that this is the best comic book
2: movie.
0: I know that we um, famously uh, like to use, famously, uh, famously like to use hyperbole, uh, but uh, I I also don't want to uh, ignite any fury by saying that Howard the Duck is the greatest comic book movie of all time. Okay,
1: okay, okay. Uh, I mean, art is subjective, okay? (laughs) But- our listeners, especially those that are our Patreon subscribers, they know that we are genuine defenders of the Howard the Duck movie, the first Marvel movie, if you don't count Red Sonia,
0: Yeah, I've never seen Red Sonja.
1: We We got to do that. That would be a great Patreon episode.
0: Howard the Duck, the movie, does have a very special downy soft place in our hearts that we will not have disparaged.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a weird movie, but it's that yeah. weirdness that really makes it unique within the space of comic book movies. And it felt like a good place to start our comic book movie series at the Alamo Draft House because it gives you an idea of the weirdos programming it.
0: I agree that starting with Howard the Duck certainly sets a tone <laughs> for our film series. But like what I'm excited about is that we're not just going to do superhero movies for our comic book movie film series because there are so many there are so many comic book movies that uh, do not have anything to do with capes and spandex. Yeah,
1: we're treating our comic book movie series at the Alamo Drafthouse the way that we treat our podcast, right? So we do couples counseling sessions of Scott and Jean, right? X-Men, okay, great. But we also do Usagi Yojimbo. We also do Bloom.
0: The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, sex criminals. We're not celebrating a genre. We're celebrating a medium That is comic books.
1: So we have secured Howard the Duck as our first film. We're still waiting to hear back what our February movie will be, what our March movie will be, but we're thinking movies like uh, Friday Foster, Superman, um, uh, History of Violence, Ghost World. Like We're trying to find the entire spectrum that the art form offers
0: we also have the licensing-enforced limitation True. of not being able to do MCU movies. Yeah,
1: Disney does not play ball with repertory theaters yet.
0: Which I think, like, actually um, paves, like, it, I to me, it just makes it even easier because I feel like we're all doing our annual MCU watches <laughs> at home. Yeah. So I think that, like, we are encouraged to just go off the beaten path.
1: Constraints breed creativity. That's right. And because we have not, you know, secured 12 movies for every month of next year, that means you listening right now, if you're in the DMV area, you can suggest movies that you wanna see on the big screen at the Alamo Drafthouse in Winchester, Virginia. What's the movie you missed on the big screen that you wish you could have seen? Flash Gordon, right? Mm-hmm. You can see Flash Gordon on the big screen again. We want to hear those suggestions, and we will take them into consideration
0: because we want these screenings to be like a community effort, yes, a community celebration around comic books and comic book movies. And part of the mission of this film series is to create kind of like a party atmosphere where, we do giveaways and we do introductions and, and then. After the movie, we all spill out into the bar-slash-lobby, and we have enthusiastic conversations, and for Color Fantasies, hopefully, for all of these screenings, we'll be able to, like, put up a table and sell some comics, maybe have, like, a mini-convention kind of feel.
1: Yeah, that's, like, one of the things that we miss when we go to Black Panther Wakanda Forever, like... These are celebrations of the comics, but so much of the audience hasn't actually interacted with comics. So our goal here is you come to Howard the Duck, we're gonna have some Howard the Duck comics that you can look at. We might have some Howard the Duck giveaways. We're definitely gonna have some giveaways. We might have some Howard the Duck comics to actually sell to you as well. Mm -hmm. We're still working out the details with Four Color Fantasies, but yeah, that's so exciting.
0: So, tickets are on sale now, Sunday, January 29th at 4 p.m. I love that time. That way, like, I love a socialization in the middle of the afternoon. Yeah. Because then I can still have my, like, download time at the end of my day. Yeah. And
1: again, that means we get some extra time in the lobby to sell comics, talk comics, celebrate comics.
0: Yeah. 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 I like it. Like, introvert. Like, you can still get home and get a good eight hours. No,
1: the party's still going after the movie, Lisa.
0: So, you can get your tickets. On the Alamo app or the website. Links in
1: the show notes.
0: And uh, yeah, that is that all we have to say. buy, buy tickets, come see us. We want to see your face. I like.
1: It's crazy how excited I am to be bringing Howard the Duck one to the big screen again. Mm-hmm. And two, just the possibility of all the comic book movies that we could see on the screen again. And it, you know. Weird science. Weird science is a comic book movie. We can show weird science on the big screen, Lisa.
0: And then I can tell the story of my uh, 13th birthday again. Yeah,
1: sad. Maybe we won't show weird science. But what about Swamp Thing? Wes Craven's Swamp Thing?
0: I am dying to see that on the big screen. That would be so fun.
1: (laughs) Send your suggestions to cbccpodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at CBCC Podcast, Instagram, CBCC Podcast, Facebook, Comic Book Couples Counseling.
0: Yes, we are accessible and it's all very exciting, but now we've got to get back to our episode at hand. Yes, 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 yes. Our other little group that we have in our snare, the team (laughs) behind Alliances colon Orphans.
1: Yes, and we're dropping this episode about a month before Stan Lee's 100th birthday. So it's a true honor to have these creators on the show to discuss their very unique relationship with Stan the man.
0: When you think about Stan Lee and his kind of legendary icon status, what he is like primarily is he's the idea guy. Like he has these huge ideas that spark the imaginations of these other creators. And so I think about Luke and Ryan kind of being the custodians of these um very precious revered things these ideas Yeah,
1: precious material. I think precious material. That's a great way of phrasing it.
0: And like just the um the enormous like magnitude of responsibility that's that has to feel like
1: Yeah, yeah. And you know, Bill Kevich, obviously we know him as the guy who radically transformed Moon Knight and brought us like the best moments from the new mutants. But he never really created alongside Stan Lee. Mm -hmm. And this is, as he's going to mention in this conversation, this is an opportunity to collaborate with an icon, with a hero in a way that he never got. So like, if you look at Alliance's orphans, you see something of a dream come true. This is a realization of a long-held creative fantasy. Mm -hmm. And you gotta approach this work as something truly special. And this book, the graphic novel, Alliance's Orphans, is a sequel to two previous storylines that were Audible originals. The universe was created by Stan Lee, Luke Lieberman, and Ryan Silbert. And for the graphic novel, they brought on Bill Sinkevich and artist Simon Kodronski.
0: You don't have to have experienced those other iterations of the Alliance's universe, though, to read this comic book. We hadn't. Yeah. So this was our introduction. And what I find interesting about Alliance's Orphans is that it is focused around like a kind of pre-apocalypse event. There is this individual called the Inventor who worked for this evil villain organization um, as kind of like, a, like a, a slave or something. And he set up the structure of the universe to ultimately collapse. And uh, while he was working, he had these other um, companions around him And these are the orphans. And so this is post the cataclysmic event. The uh, inventor has disappeared and all of his companions are tired. Like they had done so much heroics leading up to the event and now the situation is calling upon them to do even more. And they're like, guess what? I don't want to. Yeah, I've put all of this effort into saving the universe already, and now I want to start living my life.
1: Yeah, sorry. You're in a franchise? There's always another apocalypse coming. Should, Should I go ahead and read the back of the book just to give a general plot synopsis? Yeah, yeah. As gravity waves ripple across reality, warping time and space, Earthling William Ackerson is rescued by the Orphans, a ragtag group that finds themselves over their heads when their space heist is hijacked. The Orphans are each the last of their kind with all of their kin wiped out by the alien hive. Unknown to these galactic scavengers, they have a Stoy with her own agenda, a fearsome survivor of a civilization that once ruled the galaxy. This extraordinary band of lone survivors must unite to save the very fabric of reality.
0: It's hard to read Alliance's Orphans and not think about the symbolism of this inventor who's put all of these ideas in place. And then there's (laughs) this like ragtag group that is charged with fostering these ideas into a better age. And we get into that a little bit. We also get into process, we get into Luke's origins with Stanley, and it gives us this opportunity to talk about our cultural relationship with Stanley's ideas, or at least the idea of Stanley's ideas.
1: And that's where this conversation begins with their relationship to Stanley before and after their business relationship. Mm -hmm. So with that tease, let's just dive into the actual conversation. Splash. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us on Comic Book Couples Counseling. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having us. Now comes the awkward point where we start things off by introducing all of you by your voices. So if we could do a round robin of introductions, maybe starting with Ryan up top there.
2: Hey, I'm Ryan Silbert. Hopefully, you'll recognize my voice at 2x speed, but I listen to you guys at 1.25, so I I, I kind of recognize your voices.
3: Uh, This is Luke Lieberman, and this is what I sound like.
4: Hey, it's Bill, at uh, I think at 0.25 speed, which is pretty much, you know, considering, like I said, I just woke up, uh, that's that's probably got normal for me. (laughs) So, I guess
1: where we wanted to start this conversation is... December 28th is coming up, and it is going to be the 100th anniversary of Stanley's birth. And I thought we could take a moment to just discuss what he meant to you as a creator and what he meant to you as a person. Um,
3: I guess I'll start um, because so I, I met Stan um, when I was uh, a film student at NYU. He was in New York for the X-Men premiere in the year 2000 and uh he agreed to sit and let me interview him for uh my junior year documentary and um and then he offered me a job after uh after film school so i, I drove to los angeles and worked for him for a couple of years before i went off and relaunched red sonia but i always uh i always stayed tight with him he was always uh you know he was a family friend and um thinking about him in 100 year i'm actually kind of i've actually been kind of going back and looking at his I mean, I I can talk at length about what he meant to me as a creator and all the things he taught me and he was a mentor and, you know, there's, there's personal moments I don't share. And then there's a lot of other moments I've shared in a million other interviews. But one of the things that really hit me uh, last night as I was kind of thinking about him because we're talking about, you know, a hundred years of Stan is just kind of how he had this. I mean, just the arc of his life, I mean, starting out, I mean, he was, what first, uh, he was a second generation American, his parents were Romanian immigrants. He, his father lost his job during the great depression. They had to move into a really tiny apartment. Um, he had to start work. He had to like graduate high school early so that he could work and help support the family. Uh, and then he started working at timely, uh, and, you know he sort of walked in the door working with legends um you know jack and joe and then he got he didn't he actually volunteered to join the army in world war ii and he was a playwright i mean there were only a few people with that designation it was like him and you know dr seuss and charles adams and frank capra and they were like a group of them that would make entertainment and and pamphlets and whatnot for the troop um which is some really kind of cool contemporaries and, uh, and then he worked for timely for years. He had to go, he had to go fight, uh, in Congress because you know, the, um, the, the, um, I don't know what you want to say the the, the buzz kills of the time thought comic books were ruining children. So he had, you know, he created the Comic code authority and he had to kind of go fight for me, he, kind of, he fought for comic books as a medium more broadly. He was on the verge of quitting. Then he had an opportunity to create the Fantastic Four, and then he went on a run in the 60s and created more comic book IP than anyone in history in 10 years or 12 years or whatever that kind of run was. And then they kicked him upstairs and he became kind of the ambassador for the industry. And he he just never stopped. I mean, by the time I met him, right, it was 2000. So he was in his late 70s and he was just he there was never a point that i knew him where he wasn't enthusiastic about some idea that he was so spontaneously creative ideas would just kind of pour out of him and he didn't like he wasn't precious about anything you know i didn't think that they were all brilliant um you know he was happy to throw some to the side if they didn't work but if you were in his presence for any extended period of time you would hear a million different sort of concepts and ideas like his 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 brain was just kind of always firing it off and even in his 90s, he said, "Look, if he didn't have a company to come to, to to try to you know turn these ideas into things, he would just be sitting at home writing them all out. You know, I mean, he he, there's no off button for him, you know. Um, and he was just just the kind of diligence and just how long he was able to maintain that kind of enthusiasm for life and that kind of enthusiasm for storytelling um, is I've never seen anything like it." That was Luke, by the way, unless you couldn't tell by, the, <laughs> by my voice.
2: I mean, look, I came at it as a fan before I ever got a chance to sit in a room with him and work with him. And that was, you know, an on- incredible honor. Um, but as a fan, I think about 100 years, you know, it's amazing to me because the two things that I took away from Stan as a, as a fan and as a creator is two. One is his kind of democratization of how to t- how willing he was to teach um, how how approachable comics were and how to create them. So actually, one of the first things I ever bought at a convention was the secrets to uh, comics that he created in 1940-something. And it was a pamphlet of how to create comics and how to write them. Um, and it's something I've carried with me. I mean, it's like it was like I bought it maybe for 25 cents because nobody, it wasn't like a collector's item at the time. Um, and it's something that um, you know, he really gave us tools as creators to move forward. And he was always so willing and generous with that, whether you're working directly with him or not. And you know, the same way I look at the letter pages, you know, he created a community for all of us, you know, that we're all the beneficiaries of um in the soapboxes. But I will say the most amazing thing about him um, when it comes to those kinds of ideas is think about a hundred years. This art form is so young and you see people like Stan working it, and then you just see people like Bill who like took it to another level artistically. And it's just like the innovation that's happened in these hundred years is amazing. I mean, you know, we got nothing on music and we've done so much. So Stan, Stan is a huge part of that.
1: And then Bill, could you add to that? Uh, you have an cool. obviously a unique experience with Stanley as well.
4: Uh yes uh yeah but it's it's you know it's all it's wonderful actually sitting here and listening to um uh, Ryan and Luke talk about you know their actual uh, uh, connection to him uh, which is in some ways you know far deeper and um you know than than mine even though I think at the time I started working for uh, for Marl uh, Stan had sort of moved shifted into. That sort of, um, not figurehead exactly, but sort of liaison uh, ambassador. You know, Jim Shooter was the editor in chief at the time that I came on board. Stan would come by the office on occasion, and that was always sort of a, um, uh, it's like a visit from Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny all at, at, at once. It was you know, uh, it was really pretty wonderful. I mean, there was sort of, or sort of these hushed, hushed. I was like, Stan, Stan's here. Stan, you know, Stan. It was that kind of uh, you know day when he would come by. Um, and uh, my experience with him was pretty similar in terms of growing up with, uh, you know, with that sense of belonging to something. I think it was probably, you know, pretty commonplace to sort of scratch the, you know, any comic book person, um, you know, maybe feeling somewhat isolated and, uh, you know, not, not really be- belonging. And then uh, there was something about Marvel specifically that uh, where it felt like you were part of a family and part of a, uh, you know, uh, a special kind of group of of fans and, uh, uh, you know, storytellers, what have you, that it just was so wonderful to sort of uh, um, feel like you could actually, uh, like I said, belong. I am, um, I mentioned a story, uh, you know, to both Ryan and Luke at one point in the past, but you know, I don't know if the, the listeners have heard this before, but, uh, so I'll try to be brief, but I did have one meeting with Stan, um, a personal meeting, uh, cause I, every time I would see him other than that, it would sort of be in the midst of, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of people, but, um, it was one time, this is after I'd done Electra, and, um, uh, I think even uh, Toasters had come out, and I and then Stan was at a convention, and so one of the um, uh, one of the people who worked with Stan came over to my booth and uh, tapped me on the shoulder and said, "You know, Stan would like you to join him on the panel because uh, it was a, he was about to uh, moderate a panel, and um, you know, and, and sort of it's sort of like." Uh, when stan invites you over you know there's no there's no way to say no and uh, and i was just super excited so i went over and um we talked it was great to meet him i mean he was so effusive and so on point and so aware of um uh you know of sort of who the newer guys were you know and um very complimentary of uh, you know about the medium and about what I was certain things I was trying uh to accomplish or or to do at the time so it it was like just two guys talking shop uh at that point you know and we were off mic but the whole place was uh you know filling up and uh he was you know like I said he was complimentary but I got a chance to tell him what, what he meant to me and um and then when it was time to begin, he went from being sort of Stan, the human being and the co- the comics professional and the, you know, the pro and, and you could just, t- again, tell the effusiveness of, of, uh, of how he was, that he just loved the medium as well. But when it, it became time to, uh, for him to take over the, you know, the, the panel, he's, sort of flipped the switch and became you know stan the human being but one from being stan the human being to stan the icon mm-hmm. and that was really pretty wonderful to sort of be there it was like what well, it would be like watching you know bruce banner you know or david banner depending on which iteration um sort of hulk out like i like <laughs> i was there i saw it you know
1: amazing uh you know as uh, sort of shepherds and guardians to his ideas now with alliances, do you, do you feel a weight, uh, and a responsibility? Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that we're
3: not putting out just reams and reams of product, right? We we're, we're working from a world building sort of materials that we created with Stan for years Uh, we can get into the process but um you know that we when we first started developing this we didn't we weren't doing it you know we weren't trying to create like a treatment for a a tv bible or like you know a a movie pitch or something like that or we knew we were going to go to comics We, we we just wanted to build the world we were just sort of having a big dungeons and dragons session with stan um now we sort of have all that and we're trying to be very thoughtful about how we put material out, right? Like this this book, Orphans, uh, which is the third in the series uh, and the first done as a graphic novel comic book, it only really made sense when Bill became a possibility. Like we were only going to do it if we could do it with um, some groundbreaking talent that elevated the book to the level that we thought it needed to be. And that's kind of the way we've always treated. That's the way we treated uh, the last book that uh, Will Readen read for us, and the one before that that we did with Yara Shahidi.
4: Yeah, I should interject that I was, uh, you know, was and am uh, honored to be uh, part of Alliances and, and uh, Orphans with with uh, with these two fine gentlemen. And I uh, it's it really does feel like it's a um, uh, for me like a connection to to Stan. You know, like I never, like I said, I never got a chance to actually work with him, but uh, I certainly feel like I am now, you know, in, in the form of, of, uh, of you know, my my colleagues here. So it's really, it's really wonderful. Thank you.
2: Thanks.
3: Now, Ryan, follow that up with something meaningful and uh, oof,
2: You know, no, 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 no. We're just happy to be sharing this with fans and getting their feedback too. Like the reactions we've been getting have been really special. And that's the part that we miss not having, you know, Stan, not being here for that is, you know, un- is, is, is sad, but it's also a celebration every time you get to interact with a fan and discuss the ideas that come out of orphans and alliances. Cause there are some pretty deep ideas that, you know, were put into this.
0: Yeah. Like that's what I take away. So orphans is my first introduction to the alliances universe. And It is like these enormous ideas that are deeply metaphorical. And I was wondering when you are taking these ideas and turning them into visuals and turning them into a story, do you feel yourself engaging directly with the metaphor and shaping the metaphor? Or are you just letting the metaphor speak for itself? The
3: second. um, And that would be, you know, Stan would... For Stan, the the heart of the story is always the characters. You know, you can have these kind of larger ideas and set pieces and all the rest of that, but ultimately, you just need storytelling that comes organically out of the character arcs. And you know, some of these sort of um, philosophical structures or whatever you want to call them that are around the story, they need to just come organically out of uh, out of out of the story itself, as opposed to being kind of imposed i mean i think whenever you have some kind of agenda to you know some sort of message that you're trying to cram into a story that that never works like you have to if the the message has to to the extent it comes out i mean everyone you need to have one i think stan once said in a um in one of his soapbox he said uh a story without a message is like a man without a soul so it needs to have one, but it can't, you can't beat the audience over the head with it. It needs to just naturally flow out of the storytelling and the storytelling is what comes 1st i
2: That'd be interested here, Bill, because, you know, we provided you with, um, you know, material we have made written with Stan, um, like what your kind of feedback was, is that, you know, the guys, the prologue is its own sort of unique piece that is the center of foundation for alliances it's one of the earliest things we wrote with stan and that's part of why we were so precious about how we would reveal it and you know bill i mean you were one of the first you know people to really see that um and certainly the first time to bring it to the page
4: well yeah that was uh i mean as uh as you're you're you you know you're talking i'm listening and thinking about um you know that everything in in that context and in the context of the, of the question Uh, for me, again, I agree that having uh, you don't want a a situation where the tail is wagging the dog. I mean, I think, unfortunately, uh, you know, storytelling right now sort of feels that uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, agenda driven work that's out there. Um, And it feels, it does feel like it, it really kind of takes away from the whole storytelling experience, and that's the one thing that I sort of feel it like typifies, you know, embodies and sort of represents everything that Stan Suit for was about telling really great stories, and I and I feel that uh, agendas and messages and everything else—it's all—it's fine to blend them in. I mean, if you think about, you know, the, when I think about the comics that I grew up reading, you know, with you know, written by Stan Lee. Um, you know I mean they were you know some of them were over the top bombastic and fun and and deep and you know exhilarating and it there were I'm sure there were messages in there but I I was just having such a good time reading and caring about the characters that I didn't feel like like somebody had sort of dropped in and said, Hey, did you see that? Did you get that message right there? It's like, you know, it's like, Hey, Hey, I'm, I'm enjoying the story. You know, I'm really having a good time. It's like, the messages are folded in. It's like, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's like having some sugar in your coffee. It's like, Hey, did you enjoy the entire bag of sugar? (laughs) Like, look, I like a little sweet, you know, please, or, or not. But, um, but, what struck me about working uh, with Ryan and Luke on on uh, the prologue, and and again, I, I realize I'm I'm repeating myself. You know, these these uh, gentlemen have heard me say this before, but I felt there was so much there that I did it. In, I think I asked for a few extra pages, but there's an entire series just on all the uh, everything that was in the pro- prologue. Um, it's uh, it's wonderful sometimes when you when you get um, it's it's a bittersweet let me put it this way it's actually a bittersweet uh, having to sort of uh, decide like how big I want to go or or can go because there's there's just too much you know to choose from to show um, and I have to actually like kind of dial it back and and uh, um, I I love the idea that there's a lot in the tank so to speak to run with and opportunities as opposed to how do I uh, pad this and sort of, you know, there there was, there's no padding here. It's like, it literally was painful to have to make a decision about how um, you know, where to draw the line.
1: That's what Lisa and I were talking about with this universe and with the universes that Stan Lee had created in the past. You look at those early issues uh, and just in like a number one issue, you can sense an entire universe at play and in alliances, you can sense that uh, entire universe and you can go anywhere. And so I am curious about that process that uh, you initially had. And did it start like in around 2017? I read that number, but I'm not hundred percent sure.
2: Uh, predate, it predates that. Cause that's when we started with um, our oh, uh, audible original. Okay. Um, but the, uh, certainly predates that, it, you know, like Luke mentioned, it was an on and off thing with Stan for him, with him, especially because he was the mentee. Um, yeah. To speak to the origins.
3: Yeah. We, we, um, the way that this sort of unfolded is that, let's see how personal I want to get here, but you know, as someone who had lost his parents uh, and Stan was a mentor, I wanted to make sure to check in with him. Like it was just kind of a thing that I knew to do with an older person that you were close to that you make an effort to check in with them and you don't let time go by because you don't want to have regrets that's just something i guess i learned in life so i would make a point once every two weeks once a month um to check in with him at that point i was an attorney but my office was down the street from his and i would just call his assistant and um find a window when stan would be around i'd go you know knock on his door and hang out and one of those sessions um we started to talk about some ideas and we sort of came up with the idea that is present in the prologue about an inventor whose people are wiped out and the, the aliens that wipe him out, keep him as a uh, keep him as like a specimen, they use his genius to build them weapons. And so he's sort of being forced to build weapons for his oppressor and then he builds his greatest weapon and uses it for, to get revenge on them. And like there, there was that kind of kernel of it and you know that was just something that came up in a dialogue, and Stan seemed going, okay yeah, that one's actually pretty good, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And so when I was walking out the door, I just had this, I just had this feeling like Stan was open to engaging in a creative process, and that we could keep that going. So you know, I went home and I did as much development on this as I as I could. And then I knocked on his door again. And he's, ah, I like this, I don't like that. You know what? Why don't we try something like this? And he'd throw a few ideas, and then I'd go back and. And that process went on for maybe about a year. And then I, I realized that, um, I needed help workshopping because Stan's time was precious and I wanted to bring back to him, you know, the best work I possibly could. Every time I had a chance to sit down with him and develop with him. Um, and Ryan was a friend from comic-con. So it was, uh, it was, I don't know, was it comic-con 2013 or 2014, somewhere in there and uh, i looked at him and asked him if he wanted to i mean we were like out after the parties drinking it was a, it was not a sober moment um we were getting really crappy food somewhere in the gaslight district and i asked him if he wanted to work on this with me and of course he said yes and then we would sort of workshop stuff and have calls or we would see stan and sort of here's where we're at and then he would give us more direction give us a few more ideas throw out whatever he didn't like and that was kind of the process for a while i don't know if i'm answering your question or if i'm just no totally totally well one
1: thing i'm
4: sorry yeah yeah, jump in uh is just listening to uh you know you talk about like eating junk food and perhaps like a bit of alcohol in, in the Gaslamp District, it got Comic Con, and but one of the things that's really bringing a smile to my face mm-hmm. is just, um, you know, everybody sort of tries to imagine what it's like to create the, the creative process of creating, like, um, at all. But in, you know, in terms in terms of writing comic book series or, you know, something that that uh, uh, you know or drawing it. Uh, I'm just listening and and it's like I'm having these flashbacks, you know, of what uh, what the creative process is for me. And just it's a there's a guerrilla aspect, a guerrilla sort of creativity that I'm hearing here. Um, And uh, and I don't think that that could be understated in terms of in some respects, the kind of wonderful aspect of that. Um, You know, there's something down and dirty and fun and, um, you know, uh, the kind of thing that you, you look back on and you're like i can't believe that you know how how some of these things these storytelling ideas or stories story beats that would will come out of you know you know just dropping you know dropping yourself into a situation that you that you might not have been in before you know and uh to me i just love the idea of how you know how everything sort of grew organically to me that's mm. really well, so. that's,
2: and that's where like, you know, we, it, it, that's exactly right. That gorilla aspect is, is totally it. Because if you like pre-engineer something to be like, specifically like it has, to, it's going to lead into this huge, big event, blah, 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 like. It doesn't really work that way. And it always feels a little bit trite when you do it that way. In our situation, it was like, is this going to be a TV movie characters for comic books? Let's rush it to this. Let's do that. And it's like for us, because we're all independent and we are able to run alliances independently, we can make choices like to work in the formats we love and, and honor them in the way that they're, that they're best, you know, these stories are best suited for like an immersive, you know, imaginative personal story is great for audio you know at a big bombastic cosmic scaled project is great for a graphic novel and um you know that's that's one of the kind of fortunate things we've been able to find partners that are like willing to go on that journey with us because you know there's a tendency nowadays to like rush everything into the market with like a predetermined kind of way of where it should go and stuff like that and Um, like Luke said, we're just pulling out trading cards at this point. Like, it's fine. It's like, it's super, it's super, super fun to do it this way.
3: Ryan, Ryan, for the record, you just interrupted me when I was going to compliment you because he was talking about getting dropped in. Ryan did kind of get dropped in mid process and the benefit of having someone come in with fresh eyes to, you know, the sort of mania of what San and I were creating was that he, you know, it was, there was a great benefit to having someone who you know they can it, they, having someone come in at that point in the process who can tell you what makes sense when you're when you're not making sense what what works what like you know someone with a pair of fresh eyes was uh a real boon to us
2: thanks luke
4: <laughs> i i kind of just getting to know you guys and better you know and, and more uh i sort of feel like like stan and 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 luke were in the car you know driving along and bantering throwing ideas and you're running. You were like, like, Astcon board, and, and instead of at that moment being invited into the car, you were like, r- like, running up alongside the car to get up to speed. Yeah, and we didn't then, slow
3: down. No, we didn't yeah, like, slow down. We like jumping through you, the window,
4: and you get actually <laughs> get You into know,
2: the, if you've ever if you if you've ever been to Comic Con, you know that's not actually in a car. It's on one of those little trolley things. You are <laughs> actually kind of like holding on to like, uh, you know, the bike coming up the hill. It's tough.
4: But the smile on my face, just hearing how like this all like you know came about is just is just huge here. So because uh, this is this to me like the pr- about process that that I just I find so fascinating. So I'm just gonna sit here, shut up, and just just grin.
0: <laughs> what I find so inspirational about Stanley and the creatives of his era is like the idea of abundance when it comes to ideas. And I think sometimes like as a creative personally, it's just like, I'm like, oh, I'm scrounging for an idea. I just need an idea. And then when I find my idea, like my idea is precious and I'm not going to share it, you know what I mean? Like until I have fully developed it and it's my brilliant thing. And so like, I would love to know like, what it is like to be in an environment where like, the end product is precious, but the like the ideas are like cheap and abundant, and um and uh and like the like the continued interaction with Stanley's ideas does it create like a continued intimacy with the person who was Stanley?
3: I'm gonna answer the first question first, which is okay. that sometimes it was absolutely brutal because you would have, you know, workshop something for a week and you're so stoked and you thought it all the way through and every possible and look at all the ways it can interact with all the other parts of the world. And you'd get in there and stand, be like, yeah, it didn't work. Not (laughs) only. And uh, he just, he didn't, he didn't really waste time on your feelings. He would just kind of cut through it. And, you know, it it was, you got, eventually you got kind of thick skinned about it. And like, you know, but the first time it happened, you were just, uh, I mean, and, and there'd be, so there's a story. It's actually in the um, afterward of the, uh, the first book on Trick of Light in the print edition. And uh, we had been developing this world now for years, and we decided that, uh, you know Stan liked the idea of doing an audiobook and uh, Audible wanted to partner up. So we were going to make the first thing as an audiobook. and we had this sort of whole sort of you know, the story was already pretty much developed on what we were going to do. And so now, you know, deals done with Audible. We're sitting down in a room with him yeah you know, talking about kind of pacing out the book and everything and he just sort of it's like he hadn't looked at it in two or three months and he just kind of looked at it and was like yeah no I don't think all this works and like he threw out about half of it like Ugh. just and like we had already sold this Audible like this was the treatment that we had already given them and he was just like yeah no you know what? why don't we try something like this and I think if it was anyone other than Stan it might have been a real problem you know because it was Stan Audible was like oh okay yeah that sounds better you know but like you know, when you sort of signed contracts and pre-sold a story in and Stan just 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 looked at it again and cut half of it out. But he had this attitude that sort of, you know, with ideas where there's always more where those came from. Like, just don't don't be pressured. You know, it either works or it doesn't. You know, maybe you put that idea away. Maybe we'll find a place for it later, but it doesn't go here, you know? And that's that was just his, I, I think at that point also was a function of his experience. I mean, he'd worked collaboratively For so long on so many stories and he'd heard so many ideas thrown at him for you know that that he um, that he just. It was all liquid to him, it was all kind of water to him and and he didn't he, he was just he just had this ability to kind of cut through all the noise and get to. kind of the heart of the story to reduce things to their simplest essence to figure out how to kind of build those building blocks and then you can put the coats of paint and the you know all the rest on later.
2: Yeah, we. I mean, we we really looked at some of the one of the things we've we did when we were expanding into orphans is looked at a lot of stands, um, you know, pre-Marvel, you know, the timely era stuff like the sci- sci-fi serials, the Journey into Mystery, the Tales of Suspense. And what's incredible is like you really look at what he was laying down with his artists, and like you're saying what the abundance thing it's totally true. Like there are characters that were created for like 15 pages or 24 pages. And then they're just like never revisited again, but the relationships are so strong in those. They could may as well be the foundation for another Dr. Strange. And, you know, that was happening monthly for like 20 years prior to fantastic four, um, kicking off the Marvel age. So it's like, you're right. Like it, it, it was almost like in the conversation with having with his work now, it's like you can it's freeing to look back on those tales because you're not really like saddled with like all this continuity of like, oh my god, there's another Spider-Man story that's going to be reinterpreted by an artist or a writer. Here it's like you could see how Stan was able to and you know, Ditko in those in those early days were able to just kind of like keep pushing, you know, because there was a deadline to be met and they had to have something down on paper. So you know it's freeing for me because certainly i'm the one who's and luke will tell you this and probably bill will too now that he knows me a little bit better i will hold on to that idea and i'll be just like i love that theme and if we get rid of that that's gonna be like it's gonna be tragic and the whole house of cards gonna fall apart but you know I'm yeah you know, i've learned to fight my demons
1: <laughs> and bill is that part of your philosophy now too like are you precious about your ideas you know or can you throw them away easily
4: uh, you know, that old expression about, you know, killing your babies kind of thing, I found that that's more true. And and uh, the thing is, is that the baby that you end up creating is, is you know, it, it might be some kind of Frankenstein's monster, but mm. in the most beautiful sense, you know, um, that being brutal in a compassionate way about what you have to let go of uh, to because again, it's for me, the only thing that matters is the story. And if you're telling a good story um, with good characters, you're kind of honoring and treating this, 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 both, you know, the story, all the characters and certainly, you know, collaborators and also the readers and viewers with utmost respect, because you're really letting them, you know, um, you know, become part of you know you're giving them the absolute best and um uh you know to me that's really what it's all about
1: well gentlemen it's been a real pleasure talking to you about alliances and orphans and i would i i'm I'm, i feel so much emotion when discussing the continuation of stanley's ideas which are so present in what you have in this graphic novel uh but it also is very contemporary. It doesn't feel rooted in the past in any way. It's kind of a marvel that you were able to put this together and get it out there.
0: Pun intended?
1: Uh yeah. Pun intended. <laughs> that was an intentional pun. Yeah. <laughs> well,
3: so you guys, you. what did what did you think? Like we always want to hear what people think of our think of this stuff. So what what did you think?
1: Oh, I mean, we had a blast with it. Like I said, it's it feels like something that could have been created in 1964 but Mm -hmm. it it doesn't feel strangled by that era either and that's such a relief
0: and i am like a very like message forward reader when bill was talking about who wants to eat all the sugar that's me i'm like i go straight for the sugar so i was like (laughs) i was pulling messages out about like you have to work through your past. On the other side of your past, there is yeah. this whole universe of opportunities if you just get over the story that you are telling yourself, yeah. you know? And- The
1: danger of narrative.
0: And, and it goes back to like, you're working through um, Stanley's ideas. And if you were became stuck and stopped at Stanley's ideas, you would not have broken through to this entire universe that is now alliances this place of infinite possibility like and I think that's a lot about like what comics is about too. we think about so much about creating a canon and and continuity, and we can we can allow that to stop us from and and um hold us like like Will Ackerton in the beginning, but then if we break through there is this whole universe of of possibilities built on our past so so I love the sugar man I love it.
4: wow oh well that's i I actually just hear you say you say that that's that's actually really enlightening for me to hear in terms of um uh you know I, i i i worry about getting in the way and stepping and stomping all over the message by sort of playing into it whenever i'm working on something so the fact that that uh i always try to get out of the way so that the message can kind of come through if it's there but um uh but it's interesting because you know the fact that you that you you are so into finding finding it is really uh, uh, you know it's 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 not that it's it's so different from the way that you know I, I think of in terms of what I, my goals as a collaborator or a creator on a project is, um, but uh, but thank you. That's that that's very intriguing to to sort of hear your point of view on that and um, and the fact that it doesn't. Um, uh, upset you or that you actually enjoy it and look for it. That's, that's really kind of amazing to me. I, I love that.
1: That's thank where you Lisa for, lives.
2: <laughs> thank <laughs> you for, thank you for finding that. That makes me feel way better.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for the book. Cause you know, I know that, I, like, as you can tell, I found it very inspirational. And I think that there are ideas in there that I'm going to return to and use to inform my life, which is what stories are for. Uh,
3: is a high compliment.
4: So well, I will, I will also say, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I, I just interrupted.
3: Luke. No, sorry. no, go ahead, go ahead. I'm um,
4: I, I also do agree. I mean, it um, uh, you know, reading the uh, you know the the book and uh, the experience of working with with, with Luke and, and and Ryan has been like amazing. But it, it also feels very much, and I and I will absolutely agree with 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 what you just said. I it feels like it's brand new but also very reminiscent of that that era um and it's uh it's in in a way for me it's almost like i'm getting a chance to work with stan even though i never got a chance to work with stan and that feels really uh I, you know i could i could sort of tick that box you know mm-hmm. um, and it's just very very exciting
1: well gentlemen thank you so much for joining us on comic book couples counseling it was a real pleasure and we look forward to promoting the book with our listeners and uh, continuing to bring the story and its metaphors with us into our daily lives. And we look forward to the next chapter.
3: Yeah. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you.
4: Thank you. Great to be here.
1: Okay. We're back in the love nest and I have two thoughts, Lisa. Okay. One. Bill Sienkiewicz leaves the chat saying that he was happy to be here and I am taking that as gospel. That
0: means he totally wants to come back. Yes. That's how I'm reading into it. Yes.
1: And two, my goodness, it was something when Luke turned the podcast on us and said, no, I need you to tell us what you think of our comic.
0: Yeah, the hot seat.
1: The hot seat. That's such a weird place to be. But I also feel like, you know, all our questions are us telling him what we think of the comic, right?
0: Yeah, I think I was uniquely prepared to share my thoughts about Alliance's Orphans just because, like, after I finished reading it, I really felt like I had to consider it and mm. really take my time to figure out exactly what was being told to me. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and so I had kind of articulated that in my mind when formulating the questions. Um, And so so I was happy to be asked, frankly, I I had really thought hard about it.
1: Ultimately look at Alliance's Orphans as this reflection of what Stan Lee was doing back in the 50s and 60s with Marvel Comics and a continuation of what worked back then with some slight modifications. This comic feels very classic without feeling dusty, but also maybe there's like a little dust on it and that little dust is attractive?
0: Uh, Like to me, I feel like yeah, like as time marches on, we continue to like romanticize the idea of Stan Lee and his contributions. And I think towards the end of his life, now this is a total presumption for which I have no evidence. <laughs> but like, oh boy. you know, I like, I think it would be hard to be Stan Lee and not, romanticize your own past or at least present oh, a, a romanticized I idea mean, of your own past and, and your own contributions.
1: What made Stan Lee, Stan Lee, what was so exceptional about him was the mythology that he erected around himself in Marvel Comics. Mm-hmm. That is the appeal. And we know that it is not a function of truth, right? Yeah,
0: not entirely. But.
1: Uh, You know, that's why I go to stories. I go to stories for stories, right?
0: Really, when Stanley went into creating comics in the first place, he's like, I need a job, you know? And I know that he loved to write. And he had to put out a book at regular intervals. Yes. And and now, like, people, you know, towards the end of his life, go up to him and go, like, you're the idea guy. Deliver some Stanley, high-quality, great, brilliant brilliance. And this is what he offered. And
1: there's some nerves involved when thinking about his uh, life being continued after he's gone, Mm -hmm. right? Like his work, his creativity, his thought process, his ideas, living on without him. And you know, the brand of Stanley being so valuable and it makes you nervous, right? As a fan of his work. Uh, But what we saw here in this conversation is that Luke, Ryan, and Bill are just as concerned about all of that stuff, and what they are working from is a place of love.
0: A place of love and a place of going through, going through the ideas, not being like so overly preservational that they can't extend the lore.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this conversation is going to pair so well with our next episode where this one was the Stan Lee celebration. Our next chat with a creator is going to be our Jack Kirby celebration. That's right. And that's with Alex Ross talking about his new book, Fantastic Four Full Circle. And we've already had that conversation. It is... An exceptional one. Yeah. Uh, It is also sort of a continuation of our Sue and Reed session series from a few months back. This feels like a second opinion on our thoughts on Sue and Reed with Alex Ross, making it pretty special in the comic book couples counseling world.
0: A completely separate thought from that, but still talking about Alex Ross, like, I had no idea what he was going to be like. Sure. Everything I know about Alex Ross is uh, his booths at Comic-Con. And how they're kind of like, you know, white painted walls. They're
1: museum pieces. They're
0: very like, austere. Yeah,
1: you walk into Comic-Con and it's very Comic-Con, you know, cosplay and these crazy statues and these action figures and these toys everywhere. But when you find the Alex Ross booth, actually a lot like when you find the Bill Sinkevich booth, it's like you have walked into the National Mall on the Smithsonian.
0: Yeah, it's manned by people in suits <laughs> and, and business, <laughs> business Shout out wear. to Sal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um. But he, Alex Ross was completely warm, completely open, but in conversation with him, just like his paintings feel like, okay, um, this is a literally true painting of Superman or whatever, he reads the Fantastic Four as if they are literally true. He I,
1: reads the Fantastic Four the way that you do.
0: Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> that, Thinking well, of them as real characters, yeah, real yeah. persons, real yeah, people. Yeah.
1: And then here comes Brad and like, yeah but let's talk about the relationship of Jack Kirby and Stan Lee and how it formed that relationship that's of those characters. That's also in there, that's yeah, also yeah, in yeah, there. Yeah. Not but, to get into spoilers. But, 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 but Alex Ross is like you where he approaches these characters as if they are human beings and then lets deconstructive from there.
0: Right, right. Yeah,
1: so uh, you've got that to look forward to. That's going to be our Thanksgiving treat to all of you listeners. Mm-hmm. Enjoy. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as well, and you need to prepare yourself to return to our couple session series on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, as our next episode in that series will be on the Archie Comics era, specifically the Dreamland arc, which is real
0: damn weird you're gonna wanna read along with us. Unfortunately, the trade paperback is out of print, that would be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Adventures, Volume 15, but you can get it via Comixology Unlimited, or you can buy the digital copy.
1: And you're gonna want to, it's well worth it, because again, like, this comic is crazy.
0: I think Raphael is like an independent business owner. Yeah, there's With his girlfriend,
1: Mezcal. There's two Raphaels at one point, because one comes from the future, then they go to the past, and then they fight Hitler. Yeah. It's, you- you I love
0: how I find that- like my thing of like, what's outrageous is like they're starting a uh, a restaurant business in this economy. Yeah, that's the
1: weird thing. Not the angels in this storyline. Right. Like, yeah, it, like these comics are done at Archie, but they're through the Mirage Studios, so it it, it has that little bit of dangerous energy that the original books did. Uh, yeah, don't miss out. Don't miss out.
0: And of course we'll be using a relationship expert to talk about the sibling dynamics between the four brothers. And it is Dr. Don Hubner and her book, The Sibling Survival Guide, Surefire Ways to Solve Conflicts, Reduce Rivalry, and Have More Fun with Your Brothers and Sisters. Okay, Brad. Yes. I'm getting, I'm getting spaghettified, being sucked into a black hole. No, Wh- not the mall. <laughs> where can our listeners send the words of affirmation to you?
1: You can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show posters, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore x Fan. Lisa, mm-hmm. where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you?
0: I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. 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 If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes.
1: If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast cpccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, where we're having way more interviews. We've got a lot of interviews out there right now. We just finished chatting with Kurt Pyers as well yeah. about it's only teenage wasteland that was a really wonderful chat so there's all kinds of goodies on the website uh the creators of ice cream man are going to be there real soon so make sure you hop on over there and of course you can follow us on instagram and twitter at cbcc podcast
0: you can give us the gift of five stars on apple podcasts and if you'd like to do an active service why not write a review of the show while you're there We're fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod.
1: So until next time, friends, keep your love tank
0: full. And your psychic rapport open. Once
1: I introduce into the conversation, I'm probably going to have like this awkward moment where I'm going to have all of you introduce your voices to the listeners so that they can differentiate between who is talking. So prepare prepare yourself to introduce yourself. Prepared. And boop.